Hey, it's Greg Brady. Thanks for downloading the Toronto Today podcast, giving us a listen. We really appreciate it. So it's our Wednesday show, September 22nd, and vaccine passports have arrived in the province of Ontario. I've got the PDFs on my phone. There's no QR code yet. Wish there was. We're a little late on that. Wouldn't it be surprising if we were early as opposed to late on things of this level of importance? But I digress. We talk about that on the podcast. We got political analysis coming up from uh, Dr. Stephanie Schwinar from RMC and Anthony Fury from the Toronto Sun will weigh in on schools as well. We'll talk to a guest about rapid testing. He started his own rapid testing community for kids, not just in his household, but in his area. And it's got many parents interested. Testing may be the way out of this, like ahead of masks, testing as opposed to masks per se. What a concept. We're seeing the test to stay program work in many school districts, in many states in the United States but we're a little behind the times here when it comes to that. That's all coming up on the Toronto Today podcast and much, much more. Have a listen. Rainy, wet. That's it's going to be today. Uh, not a fantastic tennis or golf day for you hobbyists. Uh, I didn't say lobbyists. I said hobbyists. Uh, nothing new also on the election result. I did think on Sunday, I'm like, well, are we going to be giving fresh and updated election results on Wednesday. While 24 seats are still unaccounted for in terms of they haven't been called yet, there's clear leaders. And we'll update you on that controversial Toronto Spadina, Fort York, or is it Fort York Spadina, <laughs> uh, riding um, with Kevin Vuong, who was still listed as a liberal on the ballot, but the liberals dumped him from the party. I heard two things about this yesterday uh, from a I wouldn't say a government source, but a source that knows about government. And I'm going to get to that after 6.30. I can't do it right now uh, because we have obviously tremendous, tremendous comedy. It's not comedy. It's when someone wrote this song, they probably thought, you know, I've really nailed the essence of what the circus is. And they never imagined. There's a little too much flute there at the beginning. Yeah, there we go. That's what people are used to. That's what... Like when Homer Simpson goes to the circus and he sees the bear driving around on the little car. That's that's what the expectations are. Like, Rob, this that's isn't... ballet, by the way. Right. <laughs> I'm glad you remembered that. That's what he expected to be seeing, but he actually went to the ballet. Yeah. I mean, there's been 31 seasons, okay? There's as many Baskin-Robbins flavors as Simpson seasons, so it's hard to remember. All the episodes blend together, especially when you're high as a kite. I've never been. Um, but to this morning... By the way, like I, yeah, I said, somebody thought this was their, like this was their, uh, you know, Sergeant Pepper. Somebody wrote this and thought, I can't do it any better. And they said, give me some circus music. And they came up with this. Um, but if you are looking to get your uh, vaccination passport and documentation today, well, I got, I got good news and bad news. What do you want to hear first? The, uh, the bad news, the bad news is uh, you can't do it right now. You may not be able to do it until 8 a.m. because, you know, the Ontario Health website is, well, it's down for maintenance. I don't know if the maintenance is routine, but there's just maintenance happening right now. This reminds me of, like, do you remember when you could first buy tickets online for things? You could first buy concert tickets or a sporting event ticket online. You're like, wow, I don't have to line up anymore. It will mail them to me. Um, or I can, you know, eventually the, the, we, we were able to print them out. But I always like getting the hard tickets. There's many season ticket holders for Leafs, Raptors, Blue Jays who miss 
the hard tickets. They don't just want them on their phone. But if you needed this documentation this morning, I already heard from a listener who's off to the, he got his, uh, he's off with his uh, wife to the gym. What a, what a life. Jim and Branford's already off to go work out shortly after 6 a.m. You're getting physical like Olivia Newton-John. Good luck. It's great. Um, but uh, but he, they already downloaded the proof of vaccine onto their phones. If you haven't done it yet and you need to be somewhere today for it, good luck. 11 p.m. Tuesday to 8 a.m. Wednesday is when the uh, COVID-19 vaccination website, Provincial Online Vaccine Booking System, there's no uh, apostrophes or punctuation anywhere in there, uh, may be unavailable each week for maintenance from those hours, 11 p.m. Tuesday to 8 a.m. Wednesday. Again, in McEnroe-esque fashion, you cannot be serious. This is the morning people need those particular documents. Maybe this could be the one Tuesday from 11 p.m. to Wednesday at 8 a.m. that you were actually live and available and of service for our needs and our tax dollars. I, I, again, I just don't know. The, the, there's, that, there's that, you know, gully, right? It's a chasm between apathy and incompetence. And I don't know where this one lies. And it's so frustrating sometimes with this government not to know, are you just bad at your job or do you just not care about it? Which is it? Just tell me. What would you say you do here? What is it? Just give me the answer. I have people skills. Um, So anyway, right now you can't get those. You can't get those documents. You can't get those documents for right now. Let me shift to this in the concept of the vaccine mandate, period. Rollout's going to be a little bit bumpy. I understand that. I wish it hadn't come to this myself. You might feel the same, and you can text me so at 289-975-1640 this morning. Um, this will be a big story all morning long. It's the fact that we need these things, period. 289-975-1640. Look, I'm of the mind that we should have as little to do with uh, health bureaucrats running our lives and telling us, where we should go, how we should take care of ourselves, and, uh, and and all the concepts that, quote unquote, keep us safe. It's been a very myopic existence for these people from, you know, 19 months ago until now. We've heard all the same stories about washing your hands and six feet of distance. And a lot of the science has changed and the knowledge of, of the coronavirus has changed and the prospect of it becoming an endemic part of our lives has changed, but their guidance doesn't, but their data doesn't suggest a new and fresh line of thinking for the rest of us to navigate. I said it in the summer, you, you just you, forget about row off ramps. I've been talking about off ramps the last four weeks. We had no road period in the summer. Once we started to get vaccinated, what's different? What can we do differently now with our vaccination status, with our new wall of protection for health? Maybe we had it any way to begin with, but you won't address that. So that's okay. And I realize fully and completely you can't have a public health policy where you tell some people, you people, there's a good percentage of you. If you live right, you'll be fine. And I'd rather you were vaccinated than not vaccinated. Do not for a second misinterpret and don't get me wrong. But when I think about where we needed to go for this, it's unfortunate it got here, but it had to get here. Okay. And the data does document, it does document that it's going to be popular. I mean, we played Dan Kelly on with Alex Pearson 
I, I just I disagree with Dan. He knows more about running a business than I do. But I would say that from talking anecdotally to employees and employers, they want this. They want fully vaccinated people in their businesses. And they want as few unvaccinated people for now as possible. So we're going to grapple with this. We're going to argue about this. We don't have to all agree on all the principles of it, but it's very clear that employers and employees asked for this at some point in time. They wouldn't be having this forced upon them. We've had vaccinations available en masse, plentiful opportunities to get vaccinated for months on end now. And this will have to help spur rates. Dr. Kieran Moore did say this yesterday. The youngest people, the least vulnerable, the least vulnerable to coronavirus are the ones that haven't gotten vaccinated en masse. I get that. And I understand that to some extent. I understand the idea of being a certain age and feeling invincible. But this isn't this isn't our uh, you know, this isn't our time to do that. This isn't our time to pump out, you know, flex our muscles and pump puff out our chest and say, well, nothing's going to happen to me. I'll say this about the Delta variant. It transmits and easily is passed more frequently than the original COVID. But I would say a couple other things a little later on the show. I would when it comes to what we're seeing so far and what we're not seeing from schools. You may not have noticed, but schools have been open 15 days now for some of you, 13 days. And uh, by the way, uh, if you have documentation or you know about, you know, kids in hospitals and, uh, and, and, and massive, massive problems. I mean, there's outbreaks in schools, right? Because there's, we're popping positive tests once in a while for COVID. Of course we are. Of course we are. But you let me know, and I'll be the first to get it on the radio. I'll be the first to get it out to as many people as possible. I'll amplify your message if we're having kids en masse heading to hospitals sick with COVID. Because they're the least susceptible and healthy kids are the least susceptible to any sort of bad outcome. But that's not why we, that's not, we're arguing two different things sometimes when people say that to me, because we are not getting to where we need to get to with the vaccination rates. And I wish we didn't have to get to these uh, pressure points of, well, we got to get to 90%. Okay, we'll get to 90%. Can you tell me what happens when we get there? You don't have any answers for that. Fantastic. Well, I guess we'll just keep trying and get there anyway. I hear the mayor of Toronto uh, mentioned, well, we're, we're giving out a 20% discount at shopping malls uh, for people to come in and get vaccinations. Really, that's what it's that's what it's come to at this point in time. We were giving out hamburgers and ice cream. Now we're giving you uh, gift cards and discounts to shop. I'm all for stimulating retail growth. But the irony is retail probably never should have shut down in the first place. You should have allowed the employers and the business owners to risk mitigate set up something so fantastic that it wasn't problematic and that and that there wouldn't be cause for concern about spread and they should have been open all the way through Christmas all the way through the winter all the way through the spring and they weren't allowed to be that and so they're hanging on like by their fingernails for dear life to stay open and so many dreams have been crushed because we've closed businesses when we probably should not have and we kept big businesses open and you've heard it from me and i've heard it from you the listener where have you felt safer where have you felt least safe in a retail environment you tell me all the time greg it's the big box stores greg it's costco on a sunday afternoon greg it's walmart i have nothing against these businesses i i frequent them just like you do i felt safer frequenting them since being fully vaccinated sure i have but it's almost 
It's really unfortunate it did come to that. And the luring of populations with incentives didn't work anywhere else. Why will it work here? None of the vaccination incentive programs in the United States, none of them, go back and check, led to a big increase in COVID-19 vaccination rates. So this is the only way. It's the only way. I want a safe workplace, so I need to be around vaccinated people. I want you to have a safe workplace. You need to be around vaccinated people. These are popular. These are effective. More people are for them than not. And that's where it's got to go right now. And your individual rights to reject the vaccine do not trump. Do not trump the collective rights of all of the rest of us. Okay. Which is now close to four to five people, if not five out of six, to, to actually be safer, let alone feel safer. And yes, yeah, some of this is consumer confidence. Some of this is people thinking, I will go back to a restaurant knowing the person serving my food is vaccinated. I will go and, uh, and, and book that vacation knowing that everybody on the airplane has gotten their two doses. Are there issues and, and errors of public health communication? Where could I start with that? Like, do you want me to go alphabetically or chronologically? They are en masse. They have en masse made significant mistakes in terms of messaging. We're just coming around right now to the mainstream concept that if you've had COVID, recovered from COVID, and you've got one shot of vaccine, you are safer than if you had two shots of vaccine, and both are pretty damn safe. We're just getting to that now. We're just talking about this without sounding like it's some crank conspiracy theory or that it's politicized far more one way than the other. Vaccines are safe and effective against Delta. You might not not know that from media coverage. She writes in it. Most experts predict that COVID is here to stay. But with vaccination, it will become just another virus that can give us a runny nose or a fever. And a runny nose never shut down our society, our economy or our lives. I implore the news media, she's calling me out, to stop the fear mongering. And though I I think Anthony uh, Fury from the Toronto Sun, I think, you know, you and I might differ on some of the restrictions, some of the things we've done in the last 19 months. I I just have to say an amen to that. I think we've got to start talking about, I I have this friend message me who follows the coverage. He's very media savvy. He says, Greg, schools have been open 12 to 15 days now. When are we going to start to see stories about the unfounded fears of kids ending up in hospitals? It's not transpiring. Well, part of the challenge, Greg, is that that's always been true. I mean, we have had uh, previously Dr. David Williams, now Dr. Kieran Moore say, look, guys, I know you see these reports on quote unquote cases in schools, but really all that is is uh, reporting when kids test positive and those are kids who you know also go to school and then they're isolated from their classroom for a bit. They don't go on to spread it in the classroom. Yes, there's been you know a few examples, a handful. Uh, they always consistently say it's very few. When we shut schools the last time back in the spring, uh, even people who are more aggressive advocates of lockdowns and the people who, who pushed for it, Dr. Lawrence Lowe, Dr. Eileen Davila, the others, they all said on those days, they went on the airwaves to say it, they were not shutting down schools because of transmission in schools. They tried to amplify that argument, Greg, but uh, to the point of that Judith Klein quote, uh, our colleagues in the media didn't assist them in amplifying that. It's a tough one, right? Because it gets people suggesting somehow the vaccine doesn't work. And it does. It works brilliantly. And I've said this for months. Uh, And I think especially post-vaccine, Anthony, this is where a lot of people who might have differed about what we should do about COVID a year ago can get on the same page. And I say that because cases aren't hospitalizations. 
Uh, hospitals are flooded with COVID, yes, in low vaccination places, but not in high vaccination places. You're not seeing states that have 70% and beyond uh, with hospital problems. You're seeing it in states that are in the 40s and 50s for vaccine uptake. That's why this wasn't going to happen here. And that's why we won't be Alberta, because we've got hundreds of thousands of more adults that are vaccinated compared to Alberta. Well, yeah, I think we should be at the good news story of this right now in terms of uh, the decreasing number of serious outcomes out there. When we talk about a fourth wave, if you go to the Ontario Public Health website that tracks what these waves look like, the visual, well, this fourth wave right now has a failure to launch, kind of went up a little and then it just kind of you know goes down a little and it plateaus and so forth. It's not the same as in the past. And I think today with the introduction of the vaccine passport, I want to know why did we not end the mask mandate today as well? because you're about to go into a facility where everybody is vaccinated. So to your point, that means your risk of a serious outcome, it's just not there. It's not happening. So why are we going into a space when we know everybody else is vaccinated, but you still have to do these other protocols, this other theater? If you're not ending the, vac- uh, the mask mandate for you know, indoor dining or for going to the movie theater today, when are you going to end it? Yeah, I, I think that's it. it. And it's an off ramp at this particular point in time. And, and I go into the grocery store and I say, what will be different six months from now? Like, I, I get it. And, and people have said to me, the pure theater, I went out with uh, we went out for dinner with another couple Saturday night and this theatrical wear the mask in wait for your table wear the mask to your table take it off for a hundred minutes straight while you're eating and drinking then put it back on to walk 20 feet to the bathroom then take it off what are we doing what are we doing with an airborne virus when we do this yeah and i remember dr Teresa tam back well over a year ago said well one of the reasons she was concerned about recommending a mask mandate in the first place is that people would be fussing around with the masks too much always touching them and putting them on and off and then that gets you know, cross-contamination or whatever phrases she used. So that very point of yours that, you know, putting it on to walk from the, the, the hostess station to your seat on the patio and all of those bathroom hijinks and everything. So I, I thought that was a thing you were not supposed to do, always taking it on and off. Now we've created rules where that is what you must do. Uh, you know, I thought Donald Trump made that point during one of the Trump Biden debates. So I don't think Donald Trump and Theresa Tam have been on the same, uh, you know, same page very often with uh, with advocating for fiddling with the mask. That was his problem. He's like these waiters. Uh, they bring me my food and they touch the mask too much. Right. Uh, one more one more on this. And I'll read this from a, uh, a story um, from another organization. Not yours, not mine. Ontario. This was September 1st. Ontario is facing a substantial fourth wave of the COVID-19 pandemic and can see daily case counts reach nine thousand by october october by the way is nine days away in a worst case scenario according to new modeling i know people dig in on the science table sometimes but that is in the worst case scenario but to me that's always i always point out to people i tell my neighbors this i say that's basically if we stopped everything we were doing had no restrictions whatsoever and also also started behaving incredibly recklessly like like some some orgy of danger so but but i think the average person thinks boy you know what if we don't tighten up we'll have nine thousand cases not in a million years we'll have that but also to your point let's just say we do this is again a situation where the vast majority of people are vaccinated so where are the serious outcomes in all of this and another thing that public health officials have said in ontario and in provinces all across canada 
stop fixating on the case. Yes. That's why, you know, when Christine Elliott does her daily tweet, it used to be, here's the number of cases, everybody. Now it's, she tells you all these other things. And then at the bottom, she's like, oh, yeah, and here's the number of cases, because they really don't matter all that much anymore. And another example mm. of, uh, you know, the broader news industry, we, we've been told, please stop fixating on the cases. That's what the officials want us to do. And, well, we're not there yet. And we all got to move there collectively. Tell me about your read on the $600 million. I've heard this quoted about the federal election. I get it's a big talking point. It would cost that much if if another party called it, but we can't blame another party because it was the Trudeau liberals that called it. But I do say this. We spend a ton more, billions of dollars on many other projects, many other programs that whether it's, you know, support for the arts, which some people find important or military weapons upgrades, which some people find important. I don't know that the dollar figure is 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 quite as offsetting to me, but people hear it and they and they obviously go bonkers. It's about eighteen dollars a person. Yeah, I mean, I think the real issue is the hubris of Justin Trudeau looking at the polling, and even though he said on the record back in May or whatever, nobody wants an election during pandemic times. Then he said, "Oh, maybe I can get a majority." Now he went and did it, and he did not succeed in getting that majority. So that's the part that I think rightly frustrates a whole lot of people and, and folks will maybe judge him accordingly. I mean, look, Justin Show is not the the international celebrity Sunny Ways guy at all anymore. He's a workaday cynical politician that a lot of people clearly just enough support him from to scrape by, although the conservatives, as you know, got more of the popular vote. Um, but he's just another cynical politician that a lot of people are growing tired of now. It's kind of interesting that he's hanging on uh, with his political teeth, but uh, that's where he's at right now. Well, we had Stephanie Schwedenard on, who I think is is just just brilliant. We had her on the six thirty hour. She said the the honeymoon's virtually over for him with the public. Right. I, I don't I don't doubt that. I think we got to the point like the last two American presidential elections where people are going in, they're voting for who they think they should vote for, uh, and holding their nose doing so. Whether in in sixteen it was Trump or whether it was Hillary Clinton. But I think that's where we're at now with the liberals. There isn't this. And Brian Mulroney had that in and Jean Chrétien had that in. Um, It makes a lot of people think that he won't run again in two years. What do you feel about it? Well, it's interesting. You should bring up Jean Chrétien and Brian Mulroney as well, because that's a similar situation where they may be in office, they may be in power, but the back room goes, okay, you don't have it anymore. I mean, Trudeau, it really was a, a personality driven brand. It was something of a cult of personality initially. That's all gone. There are not people uh, running to the newsstands to buy the whatever Cosmo magazine with his picture on the front page like there was in 2015 and 2016. So you better believe the knives are out. There's conversations in the wings about how to do this seamlessly. I will say Justin Trudeau has been pretty good about making the party really centered around him. That was originally why when he first became liberal leader, he kicked out all the senators. That was him saying, I'm done with the old guard. This is now the me show. Um, but there's still people who've been around for several years. They've been in cabinet positions. They have their allies and they have their own little factions. And, you know, we shall see in, in the months ahead how uh, how those uh, machinations go. Anthony, if you're our guest from the Toronto Sun, now it, it gets tricky for Aaron O'Toole. And I look and I'm dying to get your read on it. I wouldn't do a damn thing. I, 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 I just don't I, I just can't see. Boy, if, if conservatives are going to pound on the liberals for the election and they have every right to, there were people left of center really frustrated that we just went through an election. But I can't I cannot believe there's the appetite for another leadership review and a leadership convention and a new face and a new name. And if you want to penetrate Ontario, to me, you, you keep banging away with a guy who slightly moved the party to the middle, who's from Ontario. Pierre Polyev, some of these other names, I, I, I just don't see it. What's your view on it? 
So back in 2004, uh, Paul Martin was considered to be prime minister pretty much for lifetime, very powerful liberal. This guy, Stephen Harper, comes along. Who is this guy? No name recognition, Mm -hmm. certainly no charisma. Oh, a reform MP? Aren't we done with all of that? Runs in the 2004 election, loses, although downgrades Paul Martin a bit, takes him from majority to minority. Stephen Harper sticks around. They don't remove him from leader. And then it's next thing we know, history, 10 years in power as prime minister. So anything can happen just because you lose one election doesn't mean you're not going to come back and win the next one. That said, I just think there's been a, an accelerating pace, a bit of a quickening to how we approach these things. And the idea of people getting, getting two chances, that's increasingly behind us now. So I agree with you. I think it makes sense for Aaron O'Toole to stick around again, but you're going to hear a lot of people argue to push him out. And uh, like the question about Justin Trudeau being pushed out or not, it all just depends uh, who has been sharpening their knives early enough and skillfully enough. I just worry with the party, um, and I think conservatives conservatives I know tell me this over the last 48 hours, that there's that there ends up being a bit of a paralysis by analysis. I would link it to how, how the Democrats try to figure out how to win presidential elections in, in the states. If you move too far left, you frighten people a little bit. If you if you sit in the middle, um, you you can't attract those radical so-called younger voters. This is why they they steered clear of Bernie Sanders a second straight time. They thought, well, Elizabeth Warren's too scary. Um, like so, they went with you know a guy that that is a centrist, if anything, and that's and that's Joe Biden to win this race. I I just think a pushback to the right is uh is aggressive, and and I think most of these social issues that Andrew Scheer wouldn't comment on, I just think Canadians have have put these to bed and they want to move on from them. Yeah, maybe. But to your point of analysis paralysis there, back in 2012, the Republicans, uh, after they lost and they lost pretty poorly and then their vote tally with women and minorities and gays and so forth was just terrible. They did this debriefing, this uh, Republican RNC debriefing that Rice Priebus put together. And they basically concluded, you know, we're done as a party unless we do X, Y, Z and so forth. Uh, They tried to write an academic playbook. And then this force of nature called Donald Trump came along that broke all of those rules. And then he brought the Republicans uh, back to power. So strange things can happen. And I don't think they can I don't think they can focus group themselves or or, you know, McKinsey consulting themselves into victory the next time around. That's a great. great. Are you even going to remember you use that phrase when we talk next week? I didn't expect it to get brought up, but OK. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, lots of money from uh, the, the consulting situation there where they think that that's always the way they can uh, get to power. And it's usually, if anything, backfires. Oh, it happened. Oh, the consultants happened to our business, too, Anthony. You'd be you'd be shocked how uh, how the how the fingers get in the pies a little bit. Thanks for coming on today. We'll talk next week. Thanks, Greg. Take care. Anthony Fury from the Toronto Sun, our guest. All right. One staple of movies and going to the cinema could be banned. And it's not even because of COVID. We'll tell you about the reasons why on the way back, leading to the 8 o'clock news with Dave Bradley, our Fantastic Four segment where we debate such an important issue as this on the way. Let's check the roads right now. Global News Radio, 640 Chopper Traffic. And we do that with Jackie King. Uh, Very excited to have our next guest on. I heard her on with uh, Alan Carter yesterday. She did some great work on election night. Also elsewhere, uh, political science professor from RMC, Dr. Stephanie Schwinar. It's great to have you on. Thanks for making the time for me. Good morning, Chris. Um, I, I'm really interested to hear to get, drill deeper into something you said with uh, with Alan yesterday at lunchtime, and that's though the liberals called this election, they you know they should have been out ahead, more organized, perhaps even than the other parties. You heard anecdotally of candidates that kind of 
discouraged or weren't thrilled with the idea of a Justin Trudeau visit. Let's go deeper on that. What what were the biggest reasons that they wouldn't want the leader and the prime minister uh, to come and kind of hold their hand up in front of a crowd and say, this is my this is my girl or this is my guy? Yeah, well, we've seen that the prime minister has drawn some uh, interesting crowds <laughs> over uh, over the, the, the course of the election. Uh, and, uh, you know, some of the, the local candidates were hearing at the door that uh, folks liked them, but that they weren't so thrilled anymore about uh, Mr. Trudeau. And so, uh, yeah, it gave me the feeling that, uh, you know, the honeymoon was over and that maybe Mr. Trudeau had become more of a liability than an asset for the Liberal Party. Uh, so so I, I found that interesting as well. Uh, it's, uh, you know, when, when candidates hear that at the door, it gives them food for thought, for sure. It's amazing how it happens. And, and you and I have seen it play out over history. A lot of our listeners, if they're real political junkies, have as well, where there just is that there seems to be that knowledge. And I think more often than not, the leader knows whether he's in power or she's in power or not. The leader knows when it's time. Mike Harris knew when it was time. Moroni knew. Kretchen knew. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Kathleen Wynne in this province is a great example where I'm sure there were liberal MPPs thinking, if you're not the leader, I might have kept my seat. We'd have more than seven seats provincially. That's such an interesting call for Trudeau to make two years or two and a half years from now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I, I, I don't think he's going to step down anytime soon. And I think the Liberal caucus is very well aware that the result of this election spells out that Canadians want stability right now. So I, I, I do not think that the knives are out in the Liberal caucus and that they'll be looking to replace him at least uh, until the COVID-19 crisis is over. But But once all of that is behind us, I think that's a discussion that they're going to want to have. Do you think they had the internal polling? We talk about this a ton with the Ford government here. Well, we're, you know, there's internal polling that dictates so many decisions. Did they have strong internal polling, Stephanie, that a majority government not would be, you know, not would be a fait accompli, but that they would get it, that that something told them they don't call this. They don't call this at this time in the midst of the late summer, early fall, still in the pandemic, still with so many controversy about pandemic measures. They don't do this unless they've got they think they've got the numbers. Yeah, I think they had done their research on this before deciding to call an election. I think the variable that uh, they perhaps did not take into consideration was the scorn mm-hmm. <laughs> that Americans uh, would show at the poll for uh, for this election and uh, how strongly the Delta variant would, would come into play over those five weeks. Uh, I, I think those were really the variables that threw a monkey wrench in their plan. Uh, and I mean, in hindsight, that's always easy to say, right? So I'm, I'm not blaming anyone uh, in there who, uh, who decided to make that call. But when we're looking back, um, it, it, it is surprising how much uh, Canadians did not want this election and, and how punishing they were at the poll, uh, considering where the campaign started. If you compare with Blaine Higgs in New Brunswick um, this time last year, if you compare with uh, John Horgan in British Columbia, two premiers who held unnecessary elections, they weren't punished. They yeah. were they they were handed very comfortable majorities. So so it it was hard to see that coming. I think from within. That's a great example uh, on your part. Um, there's all this talk about a deal that. 
boy, if I'm talking about it on the radio and, and you've got knowledge of it, maybe it's not so secret that Justin Trudeau and the federal liberals had almost a surreptitious handshake deal with the Doug Ford Tories to kind of Doug Ford and the Tories stay out of the way. Don't, you know, don't flex their muscles for for Aaron O'Toole, an Ontario born conservative leader. And Justin Trudeau wouldn't lay verbal waste uh, to Doug Ford. You saw it. He mentioned Alberta, Saskatchewan. He's mentioned Brian Pallister a couple of times. Doug Ford did not cross Justin Trudeau's lips this campaign, and he was hammering him two years ago pre-pandemic for his unpopularity in Ontario. Is there something to that? Um, It it is an interesting observation, and and I did read uh, even in French-Canadian media uh, reports of this uh, uh, of this uh, gentleman's agreement, I guess that uh, that Mr. Ford would not uh, serve as a uh, as a straw man during during this election. Uh, what I'm what I'm more interested in is what's going to come in bilateral relations after this election. Uh, how is uh, how is Mr. Trudeau going to uh, to to get Mr. Ford to um, you know uh, agree perhaps to a childcare deal? I think that would help Mr. Ford tremendously, personally, uh, especially in the greater Toronto area where parents, I think, would, would take, you know, a lot of benefit from, from having easier access to childcare and uh, less expensive access to childcare. So, so that's what I'm going to be watching out for once uh, Parliament uh, gets back in session. The excellent Stephanie Schwiener, our guest, uh, political science professor at uh, Royal Military College. One more on the Liberals, and, and though it's, it's a member not of the Liberal Party now, but this Kevin Wong, Wong situation in Toronto Spadina, Fort York. They're still counting mail-in ballots, but he's got a lead over the NDP candidate right now. Right now, he would sit as an independent, knowing what you know of the vetting process. To me, I mean, there's just there's one of three things that transpired here. Either uh, he's guilty of sexual assault or he's innocent of it and didn't tell the Liberal Party about the charges, which is a, a big problem with the vetting process. It's a big problem that doesn't make him trustworthy if they ask. And he said, "Nah, I got I got nothing, nothing out there that you don't know about. And three, I think it's the furthest fetch, Stephanie. The liberals knew about it and let him run anyway. But there will be those out there who've pointed out lots of other things with uh, the liberals and previous candidates and previous MPs that would say that. Do you have a hunch on this or or do you just say it's just it's somewhere where democracy fell down through this vetting process? Yeah, I'm I'd like to think that uh, there was a vetting process and someone wasn't honest with somebody else. I, I I. I'd rather give them the benefit of the doubt that, you know, they didn't know and that if they had, they wouldn't have let this guy run. At the end of the day, they're getting punished for it because this guy's going to get elected, but he's going to sit as an independent. Uh, and and so, you know, that's that. But this is mm. becoming more and more of a problem for all parties, whether it's sexual misconduct, whether it's Islamophobia and racism. And, you know, with uh, with um social media now we we get we got receipts from people from years ago right mm-hmm. if if you're ready to put in the time and do the do the research uh there's a lot that you can find on someone's past so uh so i think this is becoming more of an issue for all parties uh and for for, for this one specifically and for wash signing as well in in uh, kitchener center uh, that came to the detriment of, uh, of the liberals. Yeah, we never saw a campaign quite like it. And when you hear and I hear, and I'm sure even even students might say uh, at your school that, that you instruct, 
they might say, you know, is, is it going to be harder than ever to get good people to run? Well, well, if you've got some of this in your background, maybe you aren't the best candidates. Maybe it's better the more we know, right, the, the better. And at the same time, it discourages some people from thinking I, I, I would never want someone to make an accusation of me or have a misunderstanding about me from my past. Lay it out there publicly because they don't want to see me get elected. It sure is easier to do that now than it was 20 years ago to uh, to spread some dirt towards somebody yeah absolutely and to have you know uh old stories being brought back in the limelight that can be really detrimental to uh to some Mm -hmm. folks that have made mistakes uh when uh, they were younger and and this is not to speak on on the two people that i that Mm -hmm. mentioned here but generally speaking um you know uh you made mistakes in the past and you're trying to put that behind and the prospect of running means the prospect of having that dragged back into the public eye, uh, that is definitely something that would make some folks think twice about becoming candidates. Last thing for you, Stephanie, there's going to be a campaign review uh, for Aaron O'Toole's campaign. Um, Many people saw his speech on Monday night. We played a good chunk of it yesterday in different ways. Some thought, well, that wasn't much of a concession and should have been more conciliatory towards Justin Trudeau. And some thought as, I don't know, like a, like a, a positive message that, you know, there's, there's ground to be gained here. But when you run as Aaron O'Toole did, you push more towards the middle and you end up with the exact same results that people see people pointed to Andrew Shear two years ago and said, well, Shear blew this and he blew that and he didn't do this right. And he didn't do that. Right. What's that mean for the next uh, 12, 18 months for, uh, for the leader of the opposition? Yeah. Mr. O'Toole was definitely less gracious than a Jagmeet Singh, for example, in his uh, late night speech, but he's in a tough place, right? He's stuck uh, between uh, a, a result that uh, was obviously uh, not what he was hoping for and a social conservative fringe of his party that's probably mad as hell right now about the campaign that uh, the leader ran, considering the results that they got. And so he's mm. going to have, at the same time, to hold the government into account as official opposition leader and show that he's effective at that, while dealing with his caucus, who's, uh, some, of, some of whom you know, have already started um, pseudo-leadership runs. And one of those is Pierre Polyev, would you say? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so you know, party unity for him is going to be a big issue. It's it's always an issue. It was an issue for Andrew Scheer as well. Uh, for for Mr. O'Toole, it's still an issue, but he's from a different uh, a, a different part of the Big Ten, right? And and he he put that very clearly to Canadians during this campaign. I, I got thirty seconds, but you'd tell me probably if Aaron O'Toole can't you know uh, hammer through and 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 break up you know the red wall in the GTA or the nine hundred five, how's Pierre Polyev going to do it? I don't think he would. Uh, honestly, yeah. Mr. Polyev would probably uh, do well in rural Ontario, but in the mm. GTA, I can't see that that kind of uh, person have much of an appeal. Love your analysis. Thanks for getting up for us. Uh, you're one of our favorites. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. You got it. Uh, political science professor from Royal Military College, Dr. Stephanie Schwinard. Very pleased to have our next guest on the line. He is the uh, CEO of Abacus Data. The pollsters, especially Abacus, got a ton right. They told us how it was going to go, and it didn't turn into Brexit in 2016 in the UK. It didn't turn into the Trump-Hillary Clinton election in 2016. Uh, Things went very, very 
according to plan. Uh, by the way, I'll mention our, our next guest uh, tomorrow. We'll host a uh, post-election briefing. Uh, follow him on Twitter to find out more on Zoom uh, at 1230 Eastern time. It's worthy of the plug there. He is David Coletto. David, will a meal be included with that briefing? I, I wish we could sit together in person, but um, I encourage everyone to uh, order their favorite, support local, order a favorite local uh, restaurant, and, and we'll, we'll chat about the election. Yeah, so, 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 yeah, support the restaurant industry. I'm all for that. What uh, the election day morning comes, and what are you most worried about might be a tweak that someone could point at you, and they do this with, with us in our business too, or uh, any kind of forecasting, and say, I mean, I'm worried this is going to go a different direction than I forecast. Was there anything at all leading up in the afternoon that you thought that you're sweating it a little bit going, we might not have got this one? Well, every election, I think pollsters like me, we fret because, you know, we know that what we do uh, can, can almost always anticipate or at least understand how people are thinking at any given moment. But we, we it's very hard to predict exactly how people are, are going to vote. And the biggest unknown headed into Monday's election was, was going to be voter turnout and what impact that might have on, on the outcome. It's looking like turnout was down, but it wasn't, wasn't down like a ton, right? Um, mail ballots haven't yet been counted. The estimate is around 58, 59% of people voted before those mail ballots were counted. So turnouts dropped, but it didn't kind of, you know, disintegrate into a point where, um, you know, last last election, 2019, we had about 66, 67 percent turnout. Um, so it's, it's down, but it's not a fundamental difference. And so that to me was the biggest variable. And it had some impact. Certainly the conservatives uh, performed better than a lot of the polls said in terms of their popular vote. But for the most part, you know, we, 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 we anticipated at least the shares of votes that, that the different parties were going to get. I want to go there. And, and, and I, I, I'm really curious when you look at that number, I, I'm hearing a lot of, you know, shame and blame. I mean, that's just what we do. This is our society now. I hate it. Uh, but there's a lot of shame and blame. Oh, we, we should have cared more about this. I'm sorry. Polling stations, sometimes an hour long wait. It wasn't as convenient for people. Um, there is a pandemic happening. And I would say the, the media, us, we ran stories all day, okay, about long lineups. Like you almost, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy when you tell people there's long lineups in a story. I, I agree. And, and I think, you know, in some cases they were long. I, I have heard stories of people in Toronto, in, in uh, mm-hmm. Edina, Fort York, waiting three, four hours um, in order to vote late at night. And so in some places it did take a long time. In others, I think the lines looked longer than they probably would have uh, been because of distancing and the way that they were, were structuring it. But, but you're right. I think this was an election that a lot of people felt certainly was unnecessary. There's no doubt about that. Two, that there wasn't a whole lot of interest in it. Um, I think in the final days, people started to realize this thing was very close. And so um, their vote could matter more than it normally does. I mean, your votes always matter, mm-hmm. but if there's a lot of close races, then then every vote matters. And so I think, you know, the, the, the um, apprehension about waiting in line was somewhat balanced with the sense that, okay, this election's close and, and it's going to matter. And I think in the final days of the pandemics in, in lots large parts of the country started to get uh, more real again for people, um, it, it raised the stakes a little bit of the campaign. So, I, you know, it, it's always a balance in how people decide should I vote? Should I not? In large parts of the country, too, it was a beautiful day. I think that helped. Yeah. It was easy to wait outside. You know, today in Ontario, it, 
it's pouring rain. Um, <laughs> if, if this was the weather on Monday, I even suspect it would have been even lower. Oh, we'd be at ten. We'd be at ten percent turnout, and then we'd have to uh, <laughs> resign from the United Nations. We wouldn't even be a country uh, anymore. David Coletto is joining us from uh, Abacus Data on Toronto today. Now, someone might say to you, and someone asked me about it. They go, "Wait a minute! There were all these opinion polls in late August and early September, right around as we got into Labor Day weekend, right around the Afghanistan crisis too, that had Aaron O'Toole leading and winning the election." I- I'm a layman. I look at that and I say, I just think Trudeau voters and Trudeau supporters were kind of shrugging their shoulders and maybe they were away and then we all got back to work came back from the cottage went to school went to work and got back to our business and then started maybe responding to these polls again i i don't know that there was anything aaron o'toole gave back i think just trudeau voters got more engaged with with their advocacy am i right i i think you're right i mean in our tracking some polls have shown more wild swings uh the telephone polls seem to you know show one as you said one day the conservatives ahead by eight and then the you know, a few days later, that, that sort of disappeared. In our tracking, r- right after the, the election was called, we, we saw the Conservatives sort of pump, pump up a little bit, the, the Liberals come back down more or less to where it was in 2019. And throughout the campaign, those numbers really didn't move more than two or three points. So I, I think in some instances, Conservatives got really excited. Um, they got engaged. They were more likely to answer those telephone surveys. But then as the campaign wore on and people who weren't mad at the liberals, weren't like ready to throw them out, kind of slowly got into it. And then, you know, when a pollster would call, they would be more engaged and say, okay, I'm ready to tell you how I'm thinking. Um, so I think that's what happened. I, I, I do believe the conservatives started on a, on a strong footing and the liberals kind of came out of the gate, not, it seemed not really prepared for an election they actually called. But, but as this campaign went on, I, I think that it became pretty much a stalemate mm. and, a, and, and more or less a tie uh, right from day one. And it really looks like not a lot of people changed their mind, right? There wasn't a lot of things that happened in this campaign, whether it was mm-hmm. the debates, whether it was, I mean, the debate, I think, ha- had an impact in Quebec. The English debate, yes. ironically, had an impact in Quebec. Um, but, but beyond that, because people weren't paying a lot of attention, they weren't, you know, hanging on every word that, that the leaders were saying, they weren't, you know, talking a lot about the election. In, in that kind of environment, um, you know, these kinds of campaign events won't have as much impact if people aren't following it as closely. I got a couple more quick ones I want to get to. What did we get right? What did we get wrong, if anything, about the People's Party of Canada? Uh, they did not win a seat. They weren't expected to, but they certainly siphoned votes away. I think the struggle, David, is people putting every... I heard somebody doing this yesterday to me, going, wow, the PPC votes um, all taken away from the Conservatives. Like, you got to be careful here. You can't give 100% of PPC votes and make the assumption they all would have gone to Aaron O'Toole and the Conservatives. I, I'm, I'm 100% with you there. It's more nuanced and complicated than that. I think there was a lot of, a lot of that uh, PPC vote was, you know, people who said in the past they had voted for the Conservatives. You know, I, I'd listened to a number of call-in shows. I was on one yesterday where you had, you know, voters call in and say, I voted PPC because Aaron O'Toole let me down. He went too far to the middle. You know, so that was, that was a factor. But I don't think it explains, you know, all of the rise of the, of the PPC party. On the other hand, you could also argue that, that by Aaron O'Toole moving to the center, he actually attracted votes that wouldn't have otherwise been there. So had he been more conservative, had he tried to protect his right flank, so to speak, those voters may not have, have, have stuck with him. So I don't think it's simple to say, you know, conservative vote plus PPC vote would have been the result in that election if there was only one 
you know, conservative candidate. Um, but there's no doubt in some ridings. I know in Cambridge, Ontario, for example, um, the, the, the race was so close between the Liberals and the Conservatives that it is likely that the PPC cost the Conservative that seat. But when you go across yeah. the country, you know, there's not a lot of them. Like, I don't think the outcome of this election would have changed, particularly in the GTA where, where, where your listeners are. Um, mm. the, the margins for the Liberals were so big in those, you know, Mississauga, Brampton, Richmond Hill, um, even in, in, in Toronto itself, um, that, you know, the PPC would not have, uh, if they weren't running, I don't think Aaron O'Toole would have picked up many more seats than he did. Uh, and lastly, the NDP, it just looks like it looks like a flat line, like it looks like you're in a hospital looking at a flat line. They never they never sort of drop below, uh, David, about 18 and a half percent support. They never got above around 21 or so um, that, that it just looks like from the beginning, they're right around that 20 mark. They're going to check in at about what, what 19.3 or so. And uh, and and there just wasn't a lot of wasn't a lot of jagged lines up or down for them. There wasn't, despite the fact that Jagmeet Singh was incredibly popular relative to the other leaders. People, you know, when we would ask character traits, is he honest? Is he, you know, empathetic? Is he, does he understand you? Yes, yes, yes. But despite that, I'm not voting NDP. And I think a big part of it, and it's, it's related also to the Conservatives, is that Mr. Singh, as much as he pointed out consistently where the Liberals, you know, hadn't gone far enough, had let people down, hadn't done the things they said they were going to do, they didn't make, I think, an effective argument for why we should be changing the government. Everybody agreed they didn't want yeah. this election. Everybody agreed that the Liberals hadn't lived up to all the potential that, you know, Justin Trudeau had when he was elected in 2015. But that wasn't enough for enough people to change their vote and to leave the Liberals and, and see the New Democrats as that alternative center-left progressive mm. option. And so the NDP improved their, their vote slightly. They won an extra seat, but, but by no means did all that mm. potential and all the spending they did. They spent um, double what they did in, in 2019. Yeah. It, it didn't convert into very, very many new votes. David Coletta from Abacus Dad, I love talking this stuff with you. Hopefully you feel the same. Thanks for making the time for me. Uh, good luck with your event tomorrow on Zoom. Thanks again. Thanks for having me, Greg. All right, all four of us together for What Happened When on this date, September 22nd. Rob Trevisan here, Sheba Siddiqui and Dave Bradley. Sheba, you got your uh, documents printed out or... or um for your kids and your vaccine passport and you, you ready to I go? I don't yet. No. Oh, I have to get- <laughs> that sounds like an organized household. <laughs> hey, hey, oh my God, you're hitting me where it hurts. I'm extremely organized, but I have to get on that. Well, you might, you might have to wait till 8 a.m. I mean, uh, Dave, yes. Dave's going to have to give you the go-ahead at some point this morning, right? That's true. We're, we're checking. We're, we keep refreshing the website in, in hopes that it comes back a little bit early. But as of right now, it's shut down for scheduled maintenance until That's 8 o'clock. That's pretty ridiculous. Pretty ridiculous. It's wild. Yeah. It's uh, it's back to those dial-up internet days <laughs> where you hear the connection <laughs> and the, little, the, the, the squishy sound that you hear when you know you're connected. Somebody makes a phone call in the house uh, oh my right at the last minute. <laughs> You're like, oh, I was just about to get a mob. Anyway. These things happen. Yeah, for sure. In September this 22nd today, and let's take a look back at what happened on this date. In 1976, the debut of Charlie's Angels on ABC. Do you remember this show? Uh, really as a very little kid. Yeah, me too. Right? Yeah. Very little kid. Well, actually, I wasn't born yet when it debuted, but... Well, did it end up in reruns a lot? I don't know that it, it did. It really didn't. They, they did the reboot with the movies mm-hmm. uh, later on. Obviously, different cast members, no longer Farrah Fawcett, but... Uh, I think she had a big contract dispute. I think she yeah. was like she was, she was like Kyrie Irving. Old, she had a big... Yeah. Only in that respect. 
But yeah, it, it's it was still confusing as a little kid. Like I and Shiba, you to love this show. I mean, women being empowered, solving crimes. Now and then they had to go undercover as exotic dancers or or prostitutes. But <laughs> you know, these things happen, Dave. That there's there those are occupations that just for you know titillation in the audience, they need to get taken care of. And, and who you got to exactly, do the work sometimes? Who exactly was Charlie, and why did he have all the answers? <laughs> And he was only, he was never seen and only on like some kind of weird voice speaker. Exactly. It was a look into the future. I mean, uh, that sort of spinning around and talking on, on camera phone. But anyway. That was happening a lot back. The swivel chair yeah, became exactly. a very yeah, prominent yeah. development. Uh, totally. During, and Farah's uh, hair. Farah has, Farah's hair. That haircut was was famous. But the little flip, that was, I remember that. It was. Yeah, the feathered hair. I, I mean, did they all get paid the same? Did some of them have like, did some of them have like a John Oakley vacation schedule and some of them a Greg Brady vacation <laughs> schedule? How did that work? <laughs> I don't they, know. They actually weren't paid anything. They were told that uh, they would get good exposure. Oh, they, get, <laughs> <laughs> they were interns. Yeah. Great. Fantastic. <laughs> Speaking of getting paid, Canada began the production of a $5 silver bullion coin on this day in 1988. Now, I did a little research. If you go on eBay, you can find a couple of those $5 silver coins for sale today, worth about 70 bucks. Have so, any of you ever seen a $5 coin? Like who? Not a $5. I, I, I've seen a silver coin, a silver dollar. Yeah. But, but, I've seen the silver dollar. But this too. looks like my recollection is if someone is wrong, correct me. The Toonie came out like around 95, 96, I think. Yeah, that really? sounds about right. And they way. dumped yeah. the $2 bill, but I don't ever remember them trying to get a $5 coin. And then now and then you use a vending machine. Like, Shiba, you go somewhere, stay at a hotel, use a vending machine, and they spit out like $1 coins. That's they about do. the only place you can but get them. I actually still have one and $2 bills. I kept them, I kept a few. So I have them as like a little souvenir. Could My you take them like, anywhere? Would somebody just stare at you if you tried to you pass them off? I would as never currency? use them. I would never. I, I'm keeping those. But I don't. Cards. I don't even I don't know, know if you're allowed. Yeah, to. I don't think they're accepted anymore. No, I don't think they Probably are. Not. But they're worth something. Yeah, for oh. collectors, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's a collector's mm. item. Uh, 1991, the Dead Sea Scrolls made available <laughs> to the public for the first time. I have my I, copy right here. I actually, I went to go see this. I can't remember what city I was in, but I went to a museum. They were on display, and it was the big exhibit. And my wife and I went in, and we went to go see the Dead Sea Scrolls. I have too many Jewish friends that, that will kick my ass for not really knowing much about them or what they are. But they're important, right? They're manuscripts that are included in the Hebrew Bible. I know that much. And I know they're really they're historically and religiously significant in Judaism. I have never seen them, and I think that exhibit might have been actually really interesting. Did you like it, Dave? Yeah, it was very cool. I, I, I just I like all history anyway, so I was like, "Well, yeah. this is kind of neat." And I mean, it's incredibly old, and these things were not found in the Dead Sea. By the way, they were found about a one point six kilometers away in a series of eleven caves. Wow. Was there a movie where Nicolas Cage was looking for them? <laughs> or was that the deck? That's the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. Also, it? did you get something from the gift shop when you went? I'm curious. No. You didn't get a t-shirt? <laughs> no, I can never afford anything oh. from the no, gift shop. No, those are so overpriced. Yeah. Oh, a replica? Replica the Dead Sea Scrolls? <laughs> <laughs> well, on, uh, a crumpled on, piece of on, paper. On papyrus? <laughs> you know? On birch bark? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on this day in 2004, Lost debuted. You remember that one? I, I remember it. actually, I, I didn't uh, watch it on TV. I had to go rent it afterwards. We were so you know what we did? We, I've never seen Lost until the pandemic hit and we were all, <laughs> I'm telling you, we had nothing to do. Everything was closed. We thought the world was ending. So all four of our kids brought their mattresses into our bedroom because they were at home. Schools were closed. And we watched, we binge watched Lost from the beginning to right to the end. 
I did, and it we was did awesome. The, we did the exact same thing on Amazon with our kids, but they, I mean, again, they bailed that about three and a half years in. Like that's that's like forty episodes. That's forty hours straight of watching Lost, and they sort of. I, I admit, by the by, with about a year and a half left in the series, we were just talking about this yesterday with other shows. I kind of, I did lose interest, but I had to see the final episode. You had to get the answers at the end. No, and yeah. what did you think of the final episode? I was okay with it. Really, I, I, a lot of people just, uh, you know, decimated I hated it. it. I Did hated you? it. No, I was waiting for this, like a, some big, huge explanation, and I just thought it was I, uh, uh, too over the top. I came to tears when Jack ran into his dad again. I did. And he's basically like, we all we all die. We all we all go away. Wait, I, you just gave away the ending. Yeah. I know. It's Wait, been, you're not like it's even been a spoiler enough. alert or anything, really? Good one, Craig. It's not like I gave away wow. the new Bond it's movie irrelevant. ending that no, no one's one cares. seen. No next, one cares about next Lost Next, you're going to be saying that uh, <laughs> Leia is Luke's sister. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> On this day, uh, in 1984, the number one single on the Billboard Hot 100 was was yeah I yeah. I, I, I it is thank you all right we're all really aren't we no no, no? this doesn't come this, on. this is a horrible song <laughs> <laughs> it's a no, great if video like a horrible breakup this is a great it, song can you sing along i love it i i would do this oh i would karaoke this if not lip sync i would karaoke this i would i want to karaoke again i will go karaoke again i will Craig. blow up birthday cake candles and i will karaoke again <laughs> yeah could you please tiktok that so we is can watch that I think we should have a karaoke segment on the show starting now. <laughs> oh yeah, I love no, and, and probably you know probably known as a one hit wonder. Though he was in a band called Bad English, he was in a band called The Babies. But this was a this was a perfect mid '80s slow dance song when I was in like grade seven, grade eight. You'd look for the cutest girl you could find, and you'd be like, because Stairway to Heaven lasts too long. Eventually, you're gonna be like, she's gonna like get suspicious that. I just wanted to hold on to somebody's hips for nine minutes. <laughs> those songs aren't great. Like, you just want a quick three minutes in and out for those slow dances. Proper distancing in between each other Proper when you're in grade eight. Proper distancing. That's the Toronto Today podcast. Thanks for listening on this rainy Wednesday, if indeed it's still raining. I think it is. Uh, really appreciate you downloading and checking us out. We'll be on the air live tomorrow between 5.30 a.m. and 9 a.m. with all our regular segments and features and all the news you need to know to arm yourself for your day ahead. Thanks again for listening. Please consider subscribing and uh, rate us as well where you get your podcasts.